You know, in the uh, 80s and early 90s, um, HP was the company to work for, Hewlett Packard. Uh, especially if you're an engineer coming out of college, you get a job with HP was the way to go. And uh, there was an urban myth, or uh, there's, there's evidence to show that this did happen, but there was one guy, uh, graduated from college, was interviewing at different places and interviewed at HP. And when he was at HP, um, you know, the interview was going well, he was hitting it, all the things were going well. And then one of the last questions that the interviewer gave him was this. He said, why do you want to work for HP? And uh, this young man uh, reached over onto uh, this guy's desk, picked up the calculator that was on the desk, an HP calculator, took it, threw it against the wall, went over, picked it up, turned it on, it was still working, and he showed it to the guy, this is why I want to work for HP. Showing, hey, that's what you got to do. This, this kind of product still works. It is a good product. No, good thing it didn't go through the drywall. That would have been really bad. And it still worked. But you see, the way he closed the deal, the way he closed his interview was passionately, evidentially, in a crazy way. In the same way this morning, we are going to see Paul close the deal. He wants to close the deal on why the gospel is what you should believe in. And he's going to do it passionately. And he's going to say, you know, the other side that is saying the gospel is something else, they are also giving you a sales pitch. But I am giving you one too. And I hope that you would believe what I am telling you. And I want to say the same to you this morning. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're investigating Christianity Maybe you're doubting Christianity. Maybe you've been a Christian for all of your life. But there are many people that are, are selling religion. This is what you should believe. These are the things out there that you should follow, whatever it might be. And we live in a kind of a sale marketing culture that also says, you know, this is what you should follow. This is what brings you meaning. This is what you should buy. So my question is, how is the message of the gospel any different? How is its product, how is its sale any different than anything else that culture is trying to tell us, any other religion is trying to sell us? Why, Paul, what you're selling us, why is it important? Why is it significant? Well, let's see Paul throw the calculator against the wall, shall we? Let's see what he says about the gospel. Please pay attention as we read God's word this morning. Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by the nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want, uh, you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. For I also become, became, I also have become as you are. You did, not, you did me no wrong. 
You know it was because of a, um, a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you do not scorn or despise me, but receive me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make, my, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. The word of the Lord. Lord, I pray that we would hear from your word this morning and uh, that this emotional plea by Paul would maybe get us to wake up and see things in our own lives. And Lord, I pray that the word would be fresh upon our minds and that as we leave here, we would be utilizing the gospel in our lives and we would be preaching it to ourselves. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. <clears throat> well, if you're just joining us, uh, we're going through the book of Galatians. And uh, the book of Galatians is really, what is the message of Christianity? Very clearly. Cut and dry. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what Christianity is. And what Paul has been trying to argue for the past two chapters in a very theological and laid out way of the history of Israel and all those things. He's basically saying, you know, the gospel is a free gift of grace. It is not by works you are saved. It's not by works that you grow in your faith. But instead, it is by Christ that you are saved and that you are sanctified. The gospel is a free gift of grace. The thing is, you might say, well, I've heard that message uh, you know, I've been a Christian for a long, long time. Uh, do I need to hear this again? Some of you might say. Well, I think the natural inclination, the natural pull, whether we are a follower of Christ or not, is to rely on our own work, our own effort to find salvation in our life. Our natural inclination as humans in our fallen state is to rely on our own work, our own effort, to find joy, salvation, peace, hope. We try to do it apart from God. Even when we are Christians, that natural pull to the old man, as Paul would say in Romans, is what is in us. And that is what he's seeing here with the Christians that he is again writing back to them in the letter of Galatians. What has happened to you? You have received the message of Christianity. What has gone on? And what we see again is that natural pull towards salvation from themselves. So this is what Paul is trying to do. He is going to give a pitch again. A pitch back to these people. Listen, what you're doing is not right. I want to close the deal. I want to show you all that I've said over the past two chapters, why it is good to follow Christ. So, 
this is what he does. Let's read again, shall we? Verses 8, I'm going to go 8 um, through 10. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Stop for a second. So again, he's speaking to the Gentiles. These are non-Jews, and they were kind of in the Gentile culture. And the Gentile culture at that time, as is explained here, is the elementary principles in verse 9. Um, it, it's the idea of pagan worship. And when it says elementary principles, it's probably meaning earth, wind, water, fire. That's kind of probably what it means there. And what that meant is they would worship these elements to appease the gods. So farmers would worship the elements of, you know, what comes from the product, um, the weather god, or it might be lovers. Um, if I want to be able to be in love, I need to worship the god of, of beauty. So they would worship at the feet of these gods. And many times the Jews, this was shocking because it really led to some major hedonism at that time. Um, sexual issues, uh, um, alcohol issues. These are the kind of things that the Gentiles and the pagans were involved in. And that was a disgrace to the Jews. And what Paul is saying, you used to live in that life. You used to be enslaved in that place, in that pagan worship. That's who you were. But then he says, guess what? Now you have come to know God, or rather be known by God. How can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You see, for the Jews, um, the delivery was to get away from the pagan culture, the law, right? Uh, a, a following against idolatry, that there is only one God. Uh, to remove themselves from the pagan worship of those festivals. But here is what is so revolutionary about what Paul says. Again, I will read verse 9. But now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? This, this is crazy. Is he saying to these Galatians, these Gentiles, you have turned back to paganism? Have you turned back to worshiping those multiple gods? No. He is saying you have turned to the Judaizers, to the law, to this Jewish religion. That is what is now enslaving you. You know how crazy that is? Paul is saying that the pagan worship is as much slavery as Jewish worship is. They both enslave you. Earning salvation through biblical morality and religion is just as enslaving as idols and outright paganism. I'm going to say it again, okay? I hope there's push. This should shock us too, should it not? Turning to biblical morality and religion is just as enslaving as turning to idols and outright paganism. And that is what Paul is saying. Now you are following not Christ, but you are following the enslavement of the Judaizers that say you need circumcision. 
You need the law. You need these things to be saved. I'm going to try to illustrate how crazy this thought is. Let's say you are starting to go see a personal trainer. Okay? You said, I am, I'm doing it. I'm getting in the gym and I'm going to hire a trainer and I am going to work it. And uh, you have now traded cupcakes and cakes and all this food for the treadmill, right? And for weights. And uh, you're having a conversation with a trainer and you say to your trainer, it seems like I have just traded one addiction for another. I have traded my cupcakes and cake for this treadmill. And the trainer might look at you and say, no, no, no. How can you say and equate the two together? The treadmill is not even close to what a cupcake is. I mean, we're talking about good addictions here. That's what training is all about, good addictions. In the same way, Paul is saying, you have traded one enslavement for another enslavement. And for the Judaizers to hear that, that that religion, that morality, that idea of following the law for salvation or following circumcision is just as crazy as saying the treadmill is just as addicting or just as bad of enslavement as maybe eating tons of cookies. Let me illustrate it again. I think in America, there seems to be, uh, rather than a lifetime of just paganism or a lifetime of just, uh, you know, following the law, we go through cycles as we age, right? So when you uh, are in high school or maybe in college or in your 20s, um, it's okay to get crazy, right? College is a time to get crazy, right? And many of us, some of us here, maybe college was that time where we were addicted to things. Alcohol, uh, the way that we treated the opposite sex. There were addictions. And then when you get older, you know, you get wiser, right? Uh, Oh, I'm past that now. I don't do that anymore. Now I traded my alcohol for my work. (laughs) Or good things like uh, working hard and earning money. The truth is in America, we just trade one idol for another so quickly as we age. One of them looks healthier, right? Because if you're 40 and you're struggling with those things, that was not really appropriate. Right? Thing is, we can be enslaved as much as we can to alcohol as we can be enslaved to work. And both of those things are not going to the source of true freedom, which is Christ himself. And this is what Paul is trying to say. Don't be enslaved by something else. It might look healthy, it might look good, but that is not what brings life. Instead, life comes through Christ. I like what this famous saying says. Like the dog who runs along a stream with a piece of meat in his mouth. And then he sees his reflection on the pond and sees, oh, there's another piece of meat right there as I look. And then what does the dog do? He releases the meat in his mouth to grab the meat that is in the water. And the attempt of trying to get that meat in the water, what does he do? He loses both. 
Don't you know, Galatians, what you have is Christ. That is all you need. Why do you grab over other things to try to find freedom? Your freedom is what is in Christ. And as you grab for those other things, you will lose them both. See, freedom is not found in either of these models. It is not found in religion. And it is not found in hedonism or freedom. It is found in Christ alone. Verse 9, it's very rich again. I'm going to read it again for the fourth time. But now that you know, that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. You know, in the Fox Valley, I think it's very easy to mix knowing God with religious customs. That if I go to church at Easter or if I go to church on Christmas Eve, if I follow in these things, then I have God. If I follow these traditions or do these things, then I am a Christian. But the thing is, that is not what it means to know Christ, to know God. And here this passage is so good. But now you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. Yes, we, know, we show that we know God by loving him. But how much more is his love known by him knowing us? He comes to us. He knows us. He created us. And he knows us from the inside out. I encourage you, if you might struggle with assurance. I don't know, God, if you really love me, if you really care for me. He says, you know what? It's not based on what you are doing, but it's based on what I have done for you. You are mine. I know you. I made you. I think the constant thing that we do is when we struggle is we say, I need to put an action plan together of religion to get back on track with God. What action plan am I now going to do? I am committed. I'm going to spend 20 minutes a day praying now. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I am going to go to church faithfully every Sunday. That is the action plan to finally get it back together with God. And maybe if I start doing those things, now I can start to have a conversation with God. That's not the way it works. No matter where you are, no matter where you stand, he wants, he knows you now. He wants to converse with you now. And if you know him, his spirit is within you testifying, talk to me. Have a conversation with me. Please hear me. I'm not saying reading the Bible is bad or going to church is bad or praying is bad. Those are all good things. But when they become things to get us to God in and of themselves, they become the things that define a relationship with God, we are missing the point. Instead, we do those things to then acknowledge what God has done for us and his relationship with us and how he knows us. Let's move on. 
Now, the other side, this is the Judaizers that are talking to the Galatians. The people are saying, you need to get circumcised. You need to follow the law. Are making this pitch to the people. I'm going to skip and go back. Verse 17 through 18. They make much of you, verse 17, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make, make much of them. Here, the, the Greek is idea of zeal. They are zealous for you and not in a good way. It's negative. It's a, a, an intensity of violence, a desire for them to follow who they are. And they're saying, we want you to follow our culture. Now Gentiles move away from the slavery of paganism and come into the law. And they desire to follow that teaching. And that is what they're trying to say. We want zealously, jealously, violently, negatively to have you follow us. And Paul saying that is not the way of the gospel. When I talk to, to people around, especially in this political season, they think, what turns them off to Christianity? Or why don't you come to church? Or why aren't you kind of saying, I want to follow Christ with my whole life? Part of they say is, you know, I don't want to be zealous or fanatic. That's what they say. I don't want to be that way. And the reason I don't is because I see people that are zealous and fanatical. They are verbally disapproving of me. Uh, they are self-righteous. They are um, angry. They are whatever it might be. I see what it means to really follow Christ. If you really follow Christ and you are zealous, you look like that. But Paul says that is not the kind of zealousness that it means to follow Christ. It's not exclusiveness. It's not moral superiority. But instead, it is salvation by grace. I encourage you a really good book. If anyone is doubting Christianity, uh, The Reason for God by Tim Keller, and I'm going to make a point from his book. He says, think of the people you consider fanatical. Think of that. They are overbearing, self-righteous, opinionated, insensitive, and harsh. Why? It is not because they are too Christian. It's but because they are not Christian enough. They are fanatically zealous and courageous, but they are not fanatically humble, fanatically sensitive, fanatically loving, fanatically empathetic, fanatically forgiving, or fanatically understanding as Christ was. You see, if you are fanatic, and I'm going to say that I am fanatic about Christ, but if you are fanatic about Christ, what should exude from you is his patience and his love and his kindness and his goodness. That's what it means to be united with Christ. And as you grow, those things exude more and more and more. And that's what Paul says. Look at this, verse 12. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also became as you are. What did Paul become? He was like the Judaizers. He was a Jew that said, you need to follow the law. You need to be circumcised. You need to follow all of these things to be saved. But he said, I laid that all down. 
I gave that all up so I would come and be with the pagans like you. So I would be with you and love you and care for you. Those things didn't scare me anymore because I found what really I found freedom was, was in Christ. And I wasn't drawing you to those things. So it was drawing you to Christ because I needed Christ just as much from delivery from that thing. And then he goes on. He says, you know, it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel as God, as Christ Jesus. You see, they received Jesus in their lives. And because they received Jesus in their life, Paul, whether it was an eye disease or whether he had malaria or whether he had a limp, scholars have lots of opinions of what Paul was dealing with. But for the pagans, when someone had a disease, you uh, stepped away from them. You said they'd been cursed by the gods. But because these Gentiles had received Christ in their own lives, they received even Paul and his ailments. They didn't spit on him, as it said. They didn't say, the demons are on you. They instead said, no, we receive you because we realize what Christ has done in our lives. And they received Paul. And that's what he's saying. You received me. I received you. That is what the gospel looks like. That humility. That acceptance, that bearing with one another. It was patience and forbearance. As you maybe you talk about Christianity with your friends or your coworkers or your neighbors, I hope it's not, you know, maybe you should come to my political opinion, or maybe you should start having my music tastes. Or maybe you should start following my customs to become like Christ. No, it doesn't work that way. It works like going into their lives and seeing what they're dealing with and loving them in their place. Snowmobiling in Bud Light. That might be it. Maybe it's NPR and craft beer. You know? Oh, maybe people that like NPR like Bud Light. I don't know. I'm just, I'm stereotyping, but... But it's going into their world. Know them. Become like them. Love them. See what they are like. Listen to their music. Talk to them about it. That it was a means to be a fanatical Christian. A fanatical Christian loves people and is with them. And is caring about them and knows them. Just in the same way, Paul left his custom and went to be among the Gentiles. At the end, in verse 18, he says, Always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for who I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. We are in a church that we've had lots of people have babies, uh, some of you here, and uh, uh, some guys have seen the pain that comes in birthing a child. It's painful. 
And it's tears and it's hard. And Paul's saying, in the same way, I'm going through that same pain for you. I'm going through that pain so that you would become more Christ-like. I will bear with you in that way. What a vivid, vivid illustration. That is how much he is fighting. That is how much he is desiring them to follow Christ. Not that they would follow him, but that they would follow Christ. That they would be shaped by him. Well, Paul makes a passionate plea. Let me make a passionate plea from experience. When I worked in downtown Denver at a church plant there, um, it was lots of it was lots of 20-somethings. It was, it was crazy what God was doing there. And we had lots of people that were um, just figuring out what does it mean to follow Christ. And one guy, his name was Clay. And uh, Clay and I would hang out um, quite a bit. And we'd talk about life and what's going on. He started going to the church. And, um, and he felt this pressure to succeed. And he was in Denver working a high-pressure job and his parents were very successful, and uh, he came to the point of being panicked, and that was really what was going on in his life, a lot of panic. And I remember talking to him, how, how is this working for you? He said, I, I don't know if I want to follow Christ. I'm saying, how is this working for you, trying to be successful in your work? And we would dialogue about this, and we'd go to Legal Pete's, which was a, a burrito place, which he loved, and talk about it. And uh, we went skiing once in a while together because he loved to ski. And we would just have these conversations over and over again. And uh, I left that church downtown and went to a church um, up north of Denver. And it was a time in life was not easy. Um, we were living in an apartment, had my two girls. Um, Aaron was pregnant with our third Aaron was working at a hospital in the afternoons. I was home with the girls just to make ends meet, all those kind of things. And I was like, man, do I want to do this? It was hard. I remember it was my 30th birthday. Aaron had to work that day. And I was feeling very sorry for myself. And uh, in an apartment, two girls, all these, I'm like, what am I doing? And Clay called on my 30th birthday. And he said, Dan, I found freedom. I found freedom in Christ. And it was, it was shocking at that moment. It was shocking that this man, Clay, now was preaching the gospel to me. He was saying, what is it, you know, what is it about? Is it about my work? Is it about, oh, look at how much I slave? No, it's about Christ. See, Jesus isn't a sales pitch for pastors. So that we can look good or we can say, join our side. Come, follow Jesus or our church can get bigger. See, Paul needs it sold to him as much as he sells it to others. The reason that Paul was able to be humble about this message and do it in a different way than the Judaizers of saying, oh, follow my team. He said, no, follow Christ because I need Christ just as much. 
And it was through the church. It was through their belief in the gospel that encouraged him when he was in a bad place. Whether it was malaria, eye condition, whatever it might be. It was them that encouraged him in the gospel. Listen, this is a world of sales. And I'll admit, I am a salesman. I mean, right? I'm selling the gospel, right? I'm good at it, right? But what's any different about what I'm doing? I mean, people are telling you, yeah, you can find joy and you can find peace. You can find freedom if you just buy this. If you just do this. There's tons of books about it. There's tons of ways to live life about it. There are tons of ways to do that. And what do we do? We purchase it. And we spend so much on it. It will give me life. My work. Money. Vacation. Self-help books. A relationship. I will work and work and work on these things. These things are being sold to me so that I can finally find freedom and joy and peace. And the thing is we can do the same thing to religion. If I just find Jesus and find Christ and read the Bible and go to church, it just becomes sale, sale, sale. Please hear me. That is not the gospel. I'm going to close with this. The message of the gospel and why it is something that is so much more powerful than any sales pitch of anywhere in the world is that all the sales of the world will enslave us. They will lead us to nothing but death. But Christ took the sales pitches of the world upon himself. He bought what the world gives. He bought it upon the cross. He took the sales pitches of this world upon himself. He paid the price so that we don't have to abide by some sales picture the world gives. But instead, all we have to do is trust in him. There is no work there. Instead, it is taking Christ on in ourselves. That is not a sale. That is not something we have to buy. That is something we have to trust in because he took it upon himself. And that is what Paul is saying. Stop. Stop thinking what the world gives, what religion gives is what can free you. Instead, see, if you take on Christ, he will free you. That is where freedom comes from. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we see in the world how there are sales. There are ways that we need to abide by this or do that, and that will bring freedom. But I am thankful, Lord, that you have paid the price yourself, that we might be free. Lord, I pray that this passionate plea by Paul would go into our lives and change us. And let us see the lies that are out there and realize we cannot return back to these elementary principles. Instead, we need to return to you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.